Welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, sponsored by Moda Fabrics. We have a terrific show filled with tips and tricks for you today. So let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. And guess what? Today is my 400th show, 400 shows. I've been doing this podcast for oh, quite a few years now, so there's a lot of shows if you haven't caught up on them. And I am doing each of the segments with some sort of little feature. And my first one, I am so honored to have Donna DeSoto join me because she has challenged me, and that's what we want to talk about is challenges. So, Donna, thank you for being here. Hi, Pat. Thank you so much for having me. You know, when when you started with your books that have a theme and a challenge and you put a call out for artists, I thought that was such an amazing, not only a community builder, but sort of an educational thing for people. Did you, how did you look at it when you were starting that? You know, I I didn't realize, oh, it's it, the whole thing sort of took on a life of its own. Um, <laughs> I had no idea when I began all of this where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. So I, I put out a, a local challenge inspired by the Beatles um, and just thought if I got maybe 20 people to participate in that challenge that that would be really wonderful. And as it turned out, Word spread, and 150 people participated and inspired by the Beatles. As once that once that project wrapped up, everybody wanted to know what's next. What can we get started on? (laughs) And I thought, what's next? Wait a minute, (laughs) I I didn't I didn't sign on for next. But then I then then I got the idea to um, in uh, conjunction with the centennial anniversary of the national parks. I put out a call for Inspired by the National Parks, um, and as those quilts were wrapping up, the, the artists again wanted to know what comes after this, and that's when I decided to come up with the idea of having people do quilts in honor of Elvis, so that, that, that's my third project of the Inspired by series. Well, I found that the the challenge part of it being that you have guidelines, you have specifications, not besides the deadline, you know, that when everything has to be in. And right. uh, it, all of that was so exciting for me as a maker uh, to ahead, work on the, on the Elvis one. Right, right. Well, some of the rules that are in place, some of the guidelines – there, there are good reasons for it, um, mm-hmm. particularly in the case of Elvis. It took two years to get permission from somebody at Elvis Presley Enterprises for us to even do this challenge. So one of my key components of this challenge was we had to be very careful of, about copyrighted images. Mm-hmm. So that was my top rule that nobody could use a copyrighted image. Um, right. And if you're going to do a challenge like this, Please, please follow the rules. Follow right. the guidelines. <laughs> you don't get in if you don't follow the rules. You That's know, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, because this, you you end up with a book uh, after yes. each of these, and so we have you have three books out, and this one is inspired by Elvis. Tell me a little bit about the format of the book itself, like the quilts, uh, the sort of the layout of the book, because it's very interesting. 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, since this is the third book, I, I don't want them, even though the topics are different, I like the books to vary. Mm-hmm. So this, this book was a lot of fun. Um, the, uh, when people chose a topic to depict on their quilt, they could either choose the name of a song or a movie, or they could depict something about Elvis's life or, um, you know, for instance, Elvis the performer, Elvis the philanthropist. And so the whole middle section of the book is a name that tune section where mm-hmm. 66 different quilts um, are, are shown and people have to guess the name of the song that goes along with the quilt. That is so um, fun. That is such a fun you, part. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and another difference in this book um, a lot of people wanted to do hound dog quilts. I, I guess they they quickly got an image in their mind of what, what to depict on their quilt. So I wanted to show what would a number of, of artists do with the same topic. So there's an entire hound dog chapter where eight different quilts show what that artist had in mind when they designed their quilt. And then um, there's also another section of the book uh, one of our artists, who's from Singapore, did a beautiful job photo-documenting her entire process of making the mm. quilt. Yeah. So as she sent me photos, I got an idea that it might be fun to show what that process looks like. So, so that's a separate chapter. That is an amazing chapter. You know, what a, what a uh, treasure to have her start documenting and then you be able to share that with the world by putting it in the book. It's just fabulous. I love that part. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. That's good. Good. Yeah. Well, Pat and, and, um, the, the quilts, just 40 of them just premiered at Houston a couple of weeks ago. And my very favorite part of, of that exhibit was how many of the artists came to the show. And when we did the artist walk, through the through the forty quilts, rather than you know everybody hearing me talking on and on about quilts that I hadn't done, the quilts who the the artists who came from places like Singapore and Australia and Canada were each invited to stand and give a little presentation on their process and their idea for their quilt, and oh. it was that really brought everything to life. Yeah, that would have been fun to do. I was only there for the trade show portion, but right. I had a picture of myself with the display. That's like it was Yay. so exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's very exciting. Um, Good. You know, Good. Tell you yourself have a a love of of Elvis Presley that started uh, very young, um, and yes. I know you tell you tell about it in the book. But can you give us just a little brief peek at uh, why this was a, a really um, personal topic for you? Sure, sure. Um, Elvis was my first crush. 54 <laughs> years ago, I, for my eighth birthday when we were living in Alaska, my dad was in the Army, I got to invite some friends, some girlfriends, for my birthday party, and we went to see Viva Las Vegas. Oh. And, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's still my very favorite Elvis movie. I decided then and there that I was definitely going to marry Elvis one day. But little little did I know that the other girls sitting next to me also had the same plan. And that's, that's when my love of Elvis started. Yeah. When, uh, when you were 
getting in submissions or getting in the quilts. Did you see, like, did something sort of, you know, how did you feel about that? Because this is such a personal project for you, you know, and there's so much inspiration that comes in. What was it like seeing all of that rolling in? It's it's overwhelming, Pat. Um, a lot of the quilters are not local, so I would. It was like Christmas receiving these quilts at my doorstep, and each one was a wonderful treasure and surprise as I opened it and and got to see close up and firsthand, you know, techniques and interpretations, and each one was was just such a such a wonderful surprise. I was. So touched that so many people. Um, w- there are 95 quilts that en- mm. ended up in this project, mm-hmm. and it was just so wonderful that that Elvis brought us all together with this beautiful collection. Yeah, I know. I was trying to hook up with you to drop it off, but our timing was off, so I ended up at your house and you weren't there. So I was like right. leaving my bag in your between your door, your screen yes, door, and your yes. door. Like, leave yes. it over here. Yep. <laughs> yep. A lot. Of, a lot of people end up doing that. And and Pat, I I wanted to mention too the timing of of talking to you now is perfect because we're on the heels of of the quilts premiering at Houston. And they are now on their way to Road to California, where they'll be exhibited next in January. But also, just this past Saturday night on the Hallmark Channel, there was a premiere of the movie called Christmas at Graceland. I don't know if you Mm. saw it. I missed it. And on on, on Friday, Elvis was awarded the Medal of Freedom by the president. So Elvis has not left the building. No. No, he has not left the building. That's right, for, right. For those of you who are not an Elvis fan, as we are, when his concerts would end, they would get on and announce that Elvis has left the building because if they didn't, people would never leave the concert venue. So it's right. quite a uh, it's quite a favorite saying, right, Donna? Of anybody? Yes, who... it is. Yes. <laughs> in in fact, there's a quilt that depicts Elvis has left the building, and yes. fittingly, it's on the the back cover of the book. I I oh. love that. It's excellent. Yeah. That is so excellent. That's an excellent quilt. Um, now, this gonna you have on your website, which I have a link to it um, for the for the different venues where it'll be exhibiting. Will you be able to go personally to some of these? Because some are in Virginia. At least you won't have to travel too far. Yes, yes. Some of them I will be going to, and I'm I'm even hoping to make it to the Cornbread Festival next year. Oh. Because yeah, that sounds what would awesome. what would a national Cornbread Festival be without Elvis quilts, right? Yeah, right. But, of course. Um, it's- <laughs> but but some of these venues are are really excited about getting the Elvis quilts. For instance, um, the venue that's in Berryville, Virginia, they're looking into renting a pink Cadillac and hiring an Elvis impersonator to be there. And the the music will be playing, and it, they're they're planning a big party there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, that is wonderful! Just I'll, I'll just say really quickly some of the larger events: um, the Mid Atlantic Quilt Festival, uh, the Indiana Heritage Quilt Show. So those are some right. of the larger events besides Road to California. And then right. I'm sure you'll be right. updating this as it comes along. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then do you have uh, New England in 2020? So you, you have them all into to further down the road. Donna, right. this they'll has be, been. They'll travel for about two years. Two years. Oh, Donna, this is this is fabulous. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about 
the king of rock and roll, right? You're Elvis welcome, Presley. and Pat, thank you so much for participating and for talking to me today. Yeah, I loved, I loved doing my quilt, and uh, I was excited to see a little peek of it on the cover of the book. That's exciting. <laughs> well, congratulations. Oh, thank you, Donna. Okay. This is, we're going we're gonna to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about learning new things. Get six issues of American Patchwork and Quilting a year delivered right to your door. Each issue is packed full of quilting patterns, how-to techniques, and tips and tricks from the editors and designers. And right now, we have a special deal for all of our podcast listeners. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash deal to subscribe and enter coupon code podcast at checkout to get 60% off your subscription. Find the link in our show notes. You don't want to miss out. Are you a good starter of projects, but not the best finisher? Have you amassed a large collection of UFOs or unfinished objects? Join our private Facebook group to be supported by a community of quilters all working to finish their projects. Search for the American Patrick and Quilting UFO Challenge on Facebook to get started. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. I'm Pat Sloan doing my 400th show. 400. If I had a great big cake, I'd slice it all up and give it out. So feel free to go grab some cake or cookies or candy while you're listening because, you know, you have to have that or it's not a party if you don't have cake. Uh, I am excited, <laughs> right? I have to have, I have my buddy Mary Abreu back because I just love talking to her and we are going to talk about learning because cake and learning, I think that goes together, Mary, don't you? I think that, I think it absolutely does. I have some, I have some cake here to celebrate your 400th. Happy 400. Oh, <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I love about you, Mary, is that you were always learning new things. You uh, have a very busy life. You work in a shop that you manage in town quilters in the uh, Atlanta area, uh, but you also have your whole own life as a seamstress uh, doing costumes, but you're always learning. What is that? Why is that important to you? I, I think I'm sort of driven to to do that in a way. I, I My mom did that a lot and was constantly trying new things and learning new things, and I, I think it's I think it's good for me as a as a teacher and just as a creative person to kind of I, I kind of enjoy being in a perpetual state of learning. It helps me as a teacher as well because when you when you are a student, when you are learning something new, it helps you help other people who are in that position who are learning something new. It, it, even if it's not something that you're new to, mm-hmm. if it's when it's something that you're you've been doing for a while, like sewing and quilting, you forget sometimes what it's like to be a beginner. And when you take on something new, it helps you kind of refresh that so you can go again, yeah, there's this whole other language, there's this whole other skill set 
you have to kind of learn all of these new parts, and it, it really does help you relate. And it's fun. I just I really get a kick out of trying my hand at something new, trying and failing sometimes. <laughs> right, right. Um, I prefer failing. not failing, but, you know, yes. it happens. It's part of the process. Yeah, mistakes are are part of learning. I think people as adults, I think we get uh, kind of hung up on we have to do it perfect the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, and, it's and, absolutely and, true. It's one of the things that I talk about when I when I teach is that for most adults, it's been a while since you've learned something new, and you forget what that is like. You mm-hmm. sort of take it for granted because you've been doing the same things over and over again, and you have mastered them. And mm-hmm. when you learn something new, you get very frustrated that you don't do it perfectly the first time. And doing it incorrectly is part of that learning process. You have to give yourself permission to make mistakes. You have to give yourself permission to be a beginner again and all of the things that go along with being new at something. And, and it, can be, it can be a challenge in some ways if you have some kind of some perfectionist tendencies, if you're right. used to doing <laughs> things right all the time. I, I did that with knitting. Uh, yeah. I had a really difficult time learning how to knit because I got frustrated not being able to do it right away. And yeah, could, and it was a I process. Was I had to kind of uh, yeah. give myself some some room to, yeah, to mess to up really a few learn times. And master you know? it because you had to become sort of a master because your shop brought knitting in. And yeah. I was really impressed. I mean, you had to work really hard to bring in that new skill for yourself. Yeah, thank you. Um, it was it was hard. I've, I've crocheted. I learned how to crochet when I was a kid, and I hadn't done it in a long time. And, and knitting was new, and it's it's different. I, I used to describe mm-hmm. it as um, tying my trying to tie my shoelaces with chopsticks. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't make sense out of it. It's like I don't understand this. This is dumb. I don't like this. And and one day I, I really I literally just sat down and and did it. And my husband looked over, and he'd been knitting for about a year at that point. He's like, mm-hmm. Well, you're you're doing it but I'm not quite sure what you're doing (laughs) try this instead and that was sort of it is that I just took off from there is it finally it finally clicked but it was Mm -hmm. it it was a process I had to really I I did have to kind of work at it because it it I was frustrated that it didn't just that Mm -hmm. it couldn't just pick it up and knit automatically Mm -hmm. um, yeah but once I once I kind of let myself have have that room to learn it and and really practice at it it became fun and less um, less less shoe tying and more actually making little loops and knots and making making, making real things making real making things. real things yeah yes now you told me a little story um, I don't have quite how it went exactly but you do a lot of teaching and so you had a student who brought uh, to class a very very tiny tiny machine like it wasn't quite a toy but it wasn't like more than a step above but they were yeah, able to it, work um, on I, I teach a Pretty regularly, I teach a studio format class where people can bring in a project that they want to work on. And, and a, a woman came in, and she was wanting to make some pajama pants. And this was mm-hmm. her first garment she was sewing. And she brought in a machine. She paid $15 for a machine mm-hmm. at, at Aldi, which is a, a grocery mm-hmm. chain, if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with that. And I had never seen this machine. It, it looked like a toy machine. It really did. It looked like it, it couldn't possibly make a real stitch, and, but it did. And it really reinforced for me how important it is to be accepting and be a, make, make sewing approachable for everybody. If you have a need, mm-hmm. if you have a desire to learn to sew, 
there are ways to make it happen. There's something that's going to work with within your means and within your budget. And, you know, it wasn't a, a great sewing machine. It was not, it's not going to sew for hours and hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for someone who really, really wanted to learn how to sew and, and just this worked with what she, this was what she could afford. This was what she could make happen. Mm-hmm. Um, she came in and, and, you know, there were little things that, that we kind of had to figure out how to accommodate with a machine that was very no, no frills, mm-hmm. um, you know, not having needle plate markings and things, you know, sort of things that you kind of take for granted from, right. from <laughs> your higher end machine that you may have, um, or, or really even just a very, you know, Right, basic, basic machine, even. kind of above this. I think it's really meant for like little mending things. And she mm-hmm. did it. She made a pair of pajama pants, and I was so excited for her and and so impressed that she really made it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's a great a great takeaway is that there is a way for you for anyone mm-hmm. to learn to to get what they need, get the tools and the skills that they need to engage in, in these hobbies and and learn these things that we all do, um, which I just, I love that. And and, and I know that you've um, had had some of the experience with that too, with, uh, with your neighbor. Yes, yes, she's a teenager. At the time when she's a teenager, she was very into making costumes for these uh, events, which you know more about, the sort of, you know, <laughs> where, they, where they dress up and they, you know, wear costumes and they they meet well she it turns out i didn't know this but they called me and asked me to come over and look at the sewing machine because it was having a problem and i go in to find like masses of fleece and she's sewing on this very inexpensive machine and uh you know fleece costumes like with layers of fleece all i mean this stuff was like thick and she was making gorgeous costumes and wearing them and going to the events. And I was telling the story to a group in Florida when I was teaching at lunch. At lunch, I was we were talking about this. And one of the ladies looks at me and she says, I have about four backup machines. She goes, if you drove, which we had, she yeah. goes, I will give you one and you can give it to your neighbor. Um, it was phenomenal. They were just my neighbor. Her name is Rowie. Rowie was over the moon. Uh, she was a little afraid of it because it was, you know, <laughs> bells and whistles, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah. she's gone on. She's in art. She's in college now in art. Uh, that's what she's uh, going to college for. So. Oh, I love it. You know, I mean, we really, we, there, there's, there, there's, if there's a will, there's a way, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And and it's amazing how we can make make do with so little when we really have this desire to to do something. And I think that's that's good. It's very I get frustrated occasionally, you know, in the, in the online communities where someone will will ask about a good a good machine for a beginner, and I see people suggesting these very expensive machines. And I think that it makes it it can make some people who feel like they can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this isn't a hobby they should pursue, and that's really not the case. Is, is it should be very accessible and approachable for anyone. Um, yeah. You can you can sew by hand, um, right? Right. You know, I mean, there's there's a whole category of, of costumes um, pre pre eighteen uh, hundreds that are best sewn by hand because of the way they they are constructed, which is a little daunting for me because, boy, I really do love my sewing machine, but I really like the looks from these costumes. So one of the things yeah. I'm hoping to make happen for myself in the next year is to make one of these 
um, 1700s-era costumes. Oh, how cool. That involves doing a lot of hand sewing, which will be a, a challenge for me because of the mm-hmm. patience level that goes along with that much hand work. Um, but, you know, there's, you, we, can, we can make these things available and possible for everyone, and I think that's something that's, that's you know, just so exciting. And I love the, the community-mindedness of sewing and quilting and that people can help others mm-hmm. get them the education, get them the tools, get them the the resources to make yeah. these things happen, which I love. I, I do too. I mean, it's, it is an incredible community and learning, always learning, uh, you know, after even all of these years, there's things that I've never done before. I'm working on the Splendid Sampler too, and I'm just following the directions just as the designers we invited wrote them. They may not be how I would have approached it, but it is fascinating for me to say, oh, I didn't know you could make it a flying geese that way. I I probably could have read about it somewhere, but I've never made it like that. So I made it that way this time. Uh, there's always something new to learn. What is What is another project besides the handwork the costume that you the the that you want to make or the uh, garment what other type of project do you want to learn to do i'm i'm in the middle of a a hand applique project this is a combination of machine sewing and hand applique but i really i I've, there's some beautiful um needle turn applique projects that i've seen and i really want to take on something that's a larger scale um mm-hmm. project like a giant dahlia um with some curved piecing and things like that to yeah. really just kind of stretch myself in, in combining fabrics and, and the piecing a little bit and doing a little more of the hand applique. It's been a, a challenge on this project because it takes more time mm-hmm. than I really mm-hmm. imagined that it would, but I'm so mm-hmm. happy with the process of doing it that it really, to have something that, that I can look at and, and really be proud of is just a lot of fun and, and I really want to kind of explore that. I love, I love learning new things, and I love being able to share that with other people and being able to share the excitement. I think it's really good when you learn something. I have a theory that when you're a beginner is the time to learn kind of everything that you can <laughs> before you can get intimidated yeah. by yeah. other parts of it and before other people start telling you that something is, is hard and it, and it intimidates you because they're really just kind of projecting what they found challenging. It's not necessarily that right. it's difficult. One of the first quotes I ever made, I did mitered corners on. I didn't know that was supposed to be hard. You <laughs> yeah, know, I did it, and it I wasn't it until later on that somebody else mentioned it. How you know right. that why scenes? I'm like, what? That huh? What? That wasn't hard. Yeah, that wasn't hard at all. Mary, uh, tell yeah. everybody where you're located, and then we'll wrap it up. So I'm located in the Atlanta, Georgia area. So I work in Decatur, Georgia, which is one of the suburbs of Atlanta. Just really kind of a hop, skip, and a jump from from downtown Atlanta in the airport. And, That's of course, a... online a lot. So you can find me at that craft, at that craft addict on, on Instagram, which is where yes. I'm, I'm most busy uh, yes. when it comes to social media kind of stuff because I like sharing pictures and seeing other people's pretty pictures. Oh, Mary, thank you for being here and celebrating learning with me. Oh, of course. Well, I hope other, hope other people find some inspiration in learning and help others learn and, and learn new things yourself. And happy yes. 400th, Pat. I'm happy to be here to celebrate with you. Hi, I'm Jody Sanders, Group Editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and I'd like to invite you to join me in making pillowcases to make a difference. 
For people who love to sew or quilt, it's so easy to lift spirits and bring smiles to hospitalized kids, homeless families, and others who are in need. Simply join American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine's One Million Pillowcase Challenge. Make one, two, or more pillowcases and donate them in your local community. You will make a difference with every pillowcase that you donate. Join the movement today. Find complete details, download free patterns, and record your donations online at allpeoplequilt.com slash million pillowcase. Join the annual American Patchwork and Quilting Quilt Along, along with thousands of other quilters. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash quiltalong to choose your favorite project and get the pattern. Then get sewing. Share photos of your progress on social media using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. And for the second half of the show, I asked Roseanne Kermis, who was one of my guests early on. Roseanne was on show number six that I did many, many moons ago. And she has been a featured guest of mine so many times. We have been friends forever. Uh, Roseanne, thank you for being here. Oh, hey, Pat. It's, I'm great. to uh, just happy to be here. The fourth. 400th show. This is just amazing. I remember when you first were talking about it and when it first started, and now it's like, oh, so much time has passed. So many great shows. I, I know. It's it just sort of, all of a sudden I thought, well, I need to do something special. I need to, you know, have cake for everybody on 400, <laughs> but this uh, is <laughs> a virtual cake. So our, we talked, um, and I, I want to have sort of two segments. Let's. I want to talk a little bit about how Quilting has changed, but stayed the same. And a little bit of that came, Roseanne, when I was uh, saw a cover like of a very old quilting magazine from 1977, and was sort of looking at at what they were featuring was in it. And I thought, oh my gosh, this could be written today, like salvaging grandmother's worn quilt. You know, like things don't always change that much. I agree because I, I came across, or I had one sitting on my counter here that um, was from 1986. It was a, a magazine called Quilt. And I felt the same way when I was flipping through it. There was articles on um, how to set a diagonal setting, how to do binding. So a lot of those things are, are the same. And it's just it's kind of fun to see that there's so much continuity in this industry. Yeah. I love, though, the tagline on this one. They had quilt patterns, quilt photos, quilt designs, quilt gossip. And <laughs> <laughs> There was no internet. This is from 1977, so you had to get your quilt gossip out of the book. And they even have, like, there's an Amish lady quilting. But the cover is a very young woman who's hmm. at a frame, which I thought was super interesting. They, uh, so this, how old she would have been maybe now in her 80s or so, um, hopefully yeah, still quilting. Hopefully still quilting. So there's – a. There's so many things. Um, what are one of the big changes that you've seen since you've been, you, you know, because you're a maker from way back because you've also a painter and you've been, a, you know, done things like that. What, what in quilting is sort of impresses you or you think about like that that's a big change? Well, I think um, when I first started quilting, it was 
uncommon to machine quilt your, your, your projects. Everything was done by hand. And I remember there was a big hullabaloo at the time when people started doing machine quilting and then when the long arm machines started to come into play. Are those, are those real quilts? Um, but what I've been seeing lately is, you know, there's a lot of people who send a quilt out to a long arm quilter, but there are more and more people who are doing uh, quilting on the domestic machines. And I, I kind of think that it may be part that they are trying to save money, but also that they are intrigued by the idea that they can do the whole process themselves. And, you know, a lot of the sewing machines are making it very easy to do that with the, the bigger, uh, work area and, and things, and I think that's that's important. But I just think it's the, the challenge of being able to complete a whole project on your own. Yeah, yeah. people will tell me, I want to make the whole thing. I want to go through mm-hmm. the whole thing myself. And and the machines now do make it. And there's classes. Uh, there's so much more education so that you can get better at it. It's one of the first things I taught people was how to free motion quilt as mm-hmm. a, in, the, in the quilting world um, at my local shop. That's the first thing I was teaching. Um, there's well, you know, and I, I um, am not comfortable free motion quilting, and so these new quilting rulers kind of intrigue mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. that makes me feel like I can do it. I also think that there's so many thread choices now, too. It's not just um, basic thread colors anymore. Mm-hmm. You can get texture and, you know, every color in the rainbow and then some. And so I think those are the kind of things that make it more interesting to do it on your own. Were you quilting... Was the rotary cutter invented? Oh, it sounds. I don't want to make you sound like you quilted like since you were two. But were you? <laughs> yes, yes, Pat. The the rotary cutter was in play when I first learned was first starting out quilting. Um, in fact, in 1979 uh, was the, the invention of the rotary cutter, and also is celebrating their 40th anniversary next year, which is quite a long time. Um, but I remember feeling very intimidated by rotary cutting. And it took me a long time to kind of enter uh, that quilting arena because of the, the rotary cutter. I just didn't feel like I knew enough how to how to use it. You know what I find? Uh, I in my area, you could only learn to quilt if you quilt it by, if you piece by hand. They yes. didn't, you know, the the rotary cutter, the rulers, the sewing machines were all invented, but we couldn't learn to quilt by using them. We had to learn yes. by hand, and then nobody really taught you anything about those tools you just had to learn from the guild members or you know take some other unrelated class that was using yeah. those well and my mom was a my mom was a quilter from way back and we would you know she'd cut around templates uh cardboard templates and stuff but we would sew, sew everything by hand, by machine um my mom was not a hand piecer um but when i started going into this you had to take hand piecing classes because that's what was the traditional way to evolve in that uh, skill. You know, we were talking about applique because there's so many ways to applique, and Mary was just saying that she's working on a hand applique project and really wanting to maybe take on a bigger one. Um, what are you seeing, uh, you know, with applique? Because I do all, I do hand and I do machine. Yeah, well, I think there's, um, there was a, a lot of people were using fusible because, it took away the scariness of mm-hmm. and the work of having to do needle turn applique. Um, and then, the, of course, there was wool applique where you don't have to turn anything under and you don't need fusible. But I'm seeing a lot of people being uh, very curious about ch- a traditional needle turn applique now and wanting to take the time. I, I think um, I, see, I see with my people that are in my wool club 
who are doing some of the Sioux Spargo uh, projects mm-hmm. because there's a lot of needle turn applique in there. And it's been interesting watching them develop from the first times that they started to do it to where they are now, where they're getting they're quite proficient at it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an interesting um, way. And also I think with uh, applique it's that you're seeing people stitch heavily, like hand stitching things within an applique. Um, or even with a machine, you know, getting uh, more texture. I think in the past when you would do applique, a lot of times you tended to leave them alone a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. the applique was the, the thing that stood out. So those are a couple of things that I'm seeing. Yeah. Speaking of machines, they have <laughs> really changed um, over the years from really basic, no computers, to... Uh, I think mine. Could, I think mine should be able to make coffee. I haven't figured out the right <laughs> button to push yet, but so. I want that one where you throw all the fabric into it and it just comes out with a quilt. <laughs> oh, there you go. Right, right. I mean, I've watched my baby lock at a demo at, at when I was there, quilting in a hoop. You know, like quilting mm-hmm. the layers. You just plug in the. It was just fabulous. I'm like, I need to play around with that. Um, but there's also the people still love vintage machines. Yeah, and there's um, there's so many groups out there for like the featherweights, and I see people all the time showing their machines they're using. Um, oh, I don't remember which number it is from Singer, but it was the, that kind of tan one with the gold knobs and stuff that my mother used. I see a lot of people using that because those older vintage machines are really workhorses. Um, I have one from 1973, I think, and my Singer or my uh, sewing machine tech told me never get rid of it. It was one of the last machines that were made that were all interior was all metal. And uh-huh. it, that's the little thing, a little machine still so I so I think that's one of the reasons people like vintage machines too. Plus they're so cute. Yeah, right. I know. I know. The featherweights are darling. You know, they're darling. I personally don't sew on one. They, I mean, I'm just like, this is just not, you know, but I love the look. I, you know, I want one for the look, you know, that they're yeah, so cute. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with there. I think, you know, another thing when you talk about sewing machines that I am seeing a lot of is that people now are sewing binding down their machine. And I know when you are taking a quilt to be judged, a lot of times they frown on that, but, you know, who cares? And for me, it's like, can we get the project done? Which is, I think, as big a thing as just the aesthetics of it and stuff. But you you sew binding down my machine, I think. Yeah, my, I've been doing binding by machine for so many years. I can't even remember uh, when I started, but I know why I started. Is why? that I had I I'm unfortunately like to time how long it takes to do things, and so I timed <laughs> how long it was taking to bind a, a quilt that had a deadline, mm-hmm. and and I tend to have a whole bunch of things that have to be done at once because book books and things. So I was like, well, this is crazy. I am doing this by machine. And so I went and researched a bunch of ways to do it by machine. And, and there are, are I, I found in a very old book, a very old sewing book, doing it by machine. Really? So huh. I'm like, that's it. I'm huh. I'm off to the new way. <laughs> well, and there's, there's a lot of people that do that. I know it used to be just mostly designers, but now it seems like a lot of just regular regular people are, are using that. I'm not comfortable doing that. In fact, my deep, dark little secret is I hate binding. And so I will often have my long arm quilter sew it down by machine for me because it looks just as good when she does it as when I do it. So, 
<laughs> passing it off. Passing it off. Okay, so another uh, tool that has changing, I think, how people work are die cut machines. And you oh, are yeah. a really a die cut expert because you've been using them for so long for your wool and for paper and I don't know, like even how long you've been using it. But what do you uh, see with with the quilters now with the die cuts? Um, well, when I started doing, I started because uh, I was a creative memories consultant, and I found out that I could cut shapes really fast for my customers by doing that. So I entered it in through paper, and it didn't take long to realize that I could cut fabric out of it. Um, but now we're seeing more uh, people using the die cuts to cut the pieces that you need for a quilt, the triangles, the rectangles, the squares, all those things, uh, primarily because you can stack up a couple layers and move them through. You can get through that cutting process quicker. Um, not, you know, I'm not trying to say that, you know, rotary cutting isn't perfect either, but um, I think that die cutting has replaced some of that. And also uh, some people, if they have arm or shoulder mm-hmm. in- injuries, right. Right. you know, it's easier to, to run things through the die cut. Now they have die cut machines that are electric, you know, so right. you just push the button and stand there and watch it go. Yeah, and I think for people who, like when you were saying you were a little intimidated by the rotary cutter when it first mm-hmm. came out, but, you know, you learned how to use it. Some people just never seem to get the hang of it. Maybe it's because they don't have the strength or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, for some other reason. So it's a great alternative to be able to die cut shape. Yeah, but it does, yeah, it just like, it locks you into whatever the size of that die cut is. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you wanted something, if you were making like a patchwork quilt or applique and you wanted something bigger, you're, you're, and you don't have a die cut to match, you're going to have to step up to cut, hand cutting it some way. Right. It's a nice tool for, for an option to have. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. We have just, uh, we're going to be taking a break here in 30 seconds. So okay. when we come back, Roseanne, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, Pat, we're turning the tables, and I'm going to ask you the question this time, and we're going to find out some more things about you that we didn't know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Deep, dark secrets. Like how yep. many quilts I have that need binding, speaking of binding. Well, we already know that. It was like 800, I think, wasn't it's it? It's 800, right. Yeah. We'll be right back. <laughs> know our listeners love a good deal. We have a special offer just for our podcast listeners. Get 50% off a downloadable pattern of your choice in our online shop. Visit apqshop.com, add a digital pattern to your cart, and enter coupon code podcast at checkout. Then get quilting. Visit our show notes for more details. We've been doing the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast since 2011. That's a lot of shows. Search for guests, listen to past episodes, and read quotes from the show on our website. You'll even find a special welcome video from our host, Pat Sloan. Visit us at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast.
Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. This is show number 400, and I am with my buddy Roseanne Kermis of Rosebud's Cottage, who is an author and a writer and a designer extraordinaire. You see her work all the time in American Patrick Quilting's uh, family of magazines. So, Roseanne, you're, you, had a, you, you have a little surprise for me, I take it. Uh, we're, you're going to interview me now? <laughs> yes. Pat. Now it's yeah. my turn to, to find out, you know, what you're all about and to ask you some questions and stuff. So I have a list. I have probably like 20 questions here, but I don't know that we'll get through all of them, so maybe we'll have to do this again. But um, first off, you know, here's something that I want to know, because I always think you're kind of fast and quick. Can you do quilters math in your head, or do you need a calculator and a piece of paper? If it's not complicated, I can I can do it myself. If it's starting to get really complicated, then I have to do it do it other ways but yeah I so what's the complication it. threshold for you then yeah <laughs> how how hard does it have to be before you give up and use oh, a paper and... yeah how hard it depends if we're doing multiple blocks and then you're doing layouts and you're starting okay. to of that yeah because numbers i don't retain numbers i have like a sieve in my head so like okay. the numbers just fall out and i have to write you know I have to write them down somewhere so okay that makes sense <laughs> um I know that you have friends that you go and hang out with. I think kind of it sounds like once a month where you guys mm-hmm. bring projects to work on and stuff. Yep. So what what's what's your local community like? Your quilting community. What do they what do they do? What kind of things do they make? My uh, circle of personal friends that live here, my local friends, uh, are all quite. Um, experienced. They're all ex- very, very experienced makers. There's hardly anybody in there that hasn't been quilting for probably 20, 25 years or stitching or creating. All of them are creators. A lot of them do a lot of handwork. Uh, they like handwork. Um, and then there are some of them that don't do any handwork uh, mm. at all. There's that, there's sort of like split. There's about about 12 of us that meet on a somewhat regular basis. Uh, some are in the industry. They happen to live here locally. But when we meet, we just um, we stay very you know, focused on kind of what we're making. We chat a little bit about life. Uh, but we all bring something to work on, except for Brenda. So Brenda, yeah. Brenda can't hear me right now because she's on a cruise ship. Uh, but Brenda is so a lifelong what a, friend. <laughs> what about what about Brenda? What, Brenda what doesn't she bring? She comes from work and then she comes and hangs out and listens, but she doesn't uh, bring anything ever to work on. So, so okay. when she comes back from her vacation and hears this, I'll be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's what we want. We want to get you in trouble. Yeah. So, all right. So here's another one for you. Um, and this is a fill in the blank. So, oh. okay. So you have to listen carefully. If there were, if there was no more of the color blank, I would substitute the color blank. Oh, that is so hard. That's not fair. So my favorite color is red. It's like red, red, mm. red, red, red. Uh, so if there was no more red, I can't really substitute red. So I guess I'm thinking you're saying like there would be like what would What's be my second? new yeah. favorite color. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my new favorite color. Well, my first favorite color, I maybe I would go with that. It was yellow, like screaming okay. crayon yellow was my first favorite color. Uh, my mother was going to paint my bedroom that, but we moved, so it never happened. No. Okay. <laughs> so would you substitute yellow for a quilt, for red in a quilt? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> red, it would just have to be red. There were, there were okay. Red, red, right. Right. We won't take red away from you then. And I, I, I knew the red was your favorite. Yeah. Um, 
But then speaking of favorites, is there a quilt block that you absolutely love that you wish, you know, you could make over and over and over again? Yeah, I actually do. Um, and I don't know why, because it's extraordinarily simple, but I love the churn dash block, um, mm. which is four half square triangles, a square in the center, and then um, the rectangle units uh, make that block. I've used that block uh, to sort of be be creative with with mm-hmm. fabric when I don't need to think about the design. And I have an antique quilt that one of the very few that is a family quilt from Greg's family that we have, which was a giant sort of uh, churn dash that his mama made. And we own that. His mother gave it to us. So mm-hmm. it, it, that's my block. That's the one that it's simple, but I think it's very, it can be very effective. Yeah, that kind of speaks to you on an emotional level as well because of mm-hmm. the connection of family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't okay. Have, I don't have quilters in my family, so I don't have any family quilts. Okay. Yeah, so, so for me, it would have been a log cabin. Black is my mom made a log cabin quilts all the time. So those are always yeah. kind of my, my go-to. Um, what would surprise listeners about your business or your career path? Uh, you know, if, if they've known me a while, they might realize that, I mean, my first career, this is my second career. My first career was, uh, almost 20 years in computers. So I'm a, I'm a, I have a degree in computer science. I wrote code. I manage huge, huge projects, you know, with like, you know, 40 people and, um, and then I also did a very short stint uh, in human resources where I did every job that you could do in a human resources department at the last uh, sort of corporate world that I was in from you know, recruiting to payroll. Uh, mm-hmm. So I know a lot about yeah. that. I'm, I'm sure that uh, being in the computer industry helped you today because it helped you keep organized and managing your time and things like that. It does, and I mean, that's why I manage multiple projects, and they don't freak me out because I mm-hmm. always manage multiple projects. I had lots of teams, and we were doing all kinds of stuff all the time that I had to keep track of. Um, mm-hmm. Also, when you write code, it's like writing uh, directions. So mm-hmm. writing directions is something I've done since I was 17 years old. I've written directions. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a very, very similar if you forget to tell somebody to cut something, the quilt won't turn out right. If I forget to put a line of code in the software, it won't give the result that's needed. So, so that's lots, lots, of, lots of parallels there. I didn't think of it that way. It's interesting. Huh. Um, is there a, a designer in the industry that you kind of have a crush on? You know, that you like <laughs> love everything they do and wish you were them kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go email her now, you know, so she's a friend uh, I'll have to email her. I love, I, I have loved Joanna Figueroa, Freak Tree uh, quilts. I've loved her work, her designs, her fabric. I'm a huge fan girl right now. I'm hosting her uh, so along from her book, Christmas figs, because I think the quilt is an ant. It's a, it's a design from an antique quilt and it's fabulous and her fabric she used for the it's just fabulous so i i love everything joanna does uh and i followed her since way before she even had fabric i mean i know that you mm-hmm. you knew her then as well oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah long time in industry yeah she's been in the industry a long time so there joanna yeah <laughs> good yeah i love her things too i love yeah. her look and just love her as a person she's a great person mm-hmm. she is um now, here's something I think a lot of the re- listeners can uh, relate to is uh, storing quilting supplies. 
what what is the hardest one for you to store? I, I know you're constantly moving things around in your workroom and uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think there's actually two. Okay. Um, one is like big, big shaped things. You know, whatever that thing is, if it's big and like a bulky, uh, like you know, like big rulers. I have the twenty and a half inch square mm-hmm. ruler, or whatever it is, or twenty two, whatever the biggest one is. You know, I have to stick it between places. It has to be on the floor. The, you know, that's where the the mats, the rotating mats, are there, and then that all collects dust on the floor, and and I probably never pull it out to clean it. So it's a <laughs> those I find those really like oh I wish they weren't on the floor but where do you put something that big you know I don't yeah. have another space I also find that I don't I have not found and I I you know I'm sorry I'm sorry Alex Farinelli to say this but I have not found my perfect thread storage for my space mostly because mm-hmm. my space is small and I have a lot of thread. So mm-hmm. I keep them in uh, cartons, like uh, these r- red, red tubs, and they're by weight. So I have each weight in its own tub, and I have more than one tub of some of the weights. But because I have all of it, you know, it's not – it has to sort of stay in my auxiliary storage space. I have a small basket where I work of the of my go-to colors. But when I need to go, like if I'm applicating and I have to match – uh, pink to a flower. I need to go root in the bins. You know, they're all nicely in there, but I would, I haven't found that perfect thing for this space. But actually, uh, sorting them by weight is pretty smart. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can always pick up the color, but sometimes it's harder to find the color and then realize it's the wrong weight. Right, right. Yeah, I have them all by weight, and I have, like, all the wool in one, all the 80, you know, 40, 28, you know, 12, everything. It's 50, lots of 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Um, what do you think has been the most rewarding part of your business? For me, um, it's kind of like another trick question. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's lots of things that are rewarding, of course, but I, I think building communities is mm-hmm. probably what it speaks to me on so many different levels. So I find that really rewarding that I've been able to do that communities with the quilters who like to follow me and communities with my fellow business people, my fellow designers, my fellow industry workers, you know, people who work in the different aspects. I feel like I built communities in all those places and that that makes my job wonderful. Mhm. All the people you get to meet and interact mm-hmm. with and mm-hmm. and help and educate. I think that's always a, a the one thing I notice about you is that whole education component. Um yeah, I yeah, I like to be able to give people also a place to do that. So like my community at Facebook, it's quite along with Pat Sloan, you know, people come there so that they can be together. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's because a lot of times people don't have people near them. And so that just gives them another another opportunity to be, you know, to, to be among the group and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you think has been the highlight of your career so far? The highlight, the highlight. Well, it's well. I'll do, I'll do the highlight of my of my podcast. Okay. And that that would for that one, it would be when I interviewed astronaut uh, Karen mm. Nyberg. Um, yeah. When she came back to Earth, which 
which she really did. Uh, And then, (laughs) I know, I was like, I'm organizing it. She wasn't even in Earth when I was doing that. I know, Uh, I remember that. (laughs) I was like, she has to let, that was, I was just felt like, I here I am, me, and I am talking to an astronaut. You just don't get that opportunity to interview an astronaut that often, you know, it's. Well, the rest of us get to live it through you, which is kind of exciting too. And I would say probably another thing for me is is I love to write books, and I've written now, I think, 36 quilting books. Mm-hmm. And so that's another big, for me, a big accomplishment. Mm-hmm. I agree, because um, I've been collecting your books from the very beginning, and it was Thank fun you. to know you way back when you just uh, started with patterns and to start seeing your name on books mm-hmm. in the stores. That was exciting for me. Yeah. Um, so... One Someday. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. One more short one. One more short okay. question. Okay. We're done. So a long time from now, when you decide to retire, <laughs> what's, your, what's your life going to be like? A long time from now, Pat. A long time. Yes, yes. I've, I'll be doing this until I can't type anymore. So <laughs> I'll, I'll probably still be quilting because I really love it. It's my hobby. Mm-hmm. So. Very cool. Not everybody gets to make a career out of their, out of their hobby. So you're lucky. I am. I am. Thank you, Roseanne, for being yep. on and doing this fun. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <It's> so exciting. <laughs> Everybody will uh, go visit Roseanne at Rosebud's Cottage. Go follow her Instagram. She does lots of fun things there. I'm Pat Sloan. Uh, visit me at patsloan.com. You can get to all the fun things I'm doing and see what's going on. Chat next week. all and thanks for listening if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast app and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us have a creative week